My name is Jillian, and I'm a gamer. I'll give you a second to look at the mental image in your head that might have popped up when I said gamer. Maybe you imagined a dark room, a basement, with empty bags of Cheetos and a couple liters of Mountain Dew at the ready. You might not be wrong. Okay, well, in my case, it may be a beer and pretzels, and the dark room is not a basement, but just my New York City apartment with a lack of natural light. But anyway, yes, I'm an adult female who identifies as a gamer. The point is that despite the more than 1.2 billion people worldwide who regularly play video games, the term gamer still holds a stigma. We're stereotyped by the mainstream, we're the butt of jokes in movies and television. Just the fact that there is a term classifies us as something other. Someone who reads books, for example, may identify as a reader. Someone who watches movies and TV may identify as a viewer, but that's rare and usually only referenced by executive decision makers, not the general population. It's similar to the stigma cast on those who make YouTube videos, the YouTubers. Despite its massive popular success, new media just gets looked down upon by the mainstream media. I'd like to think it's from lack of understanding, if you just gave it a chance and all. And I think there's progress being made with cross-pollination of traditional media and new media, for example, YouTubers as guests on talk shows, and conversely, talk show hosts like James Corden releasing components of his Late Late Show on his YouTube channel. And to tie it back in with gamers, 15% of YouTube content now at the time is related to gaming. The most popular YouTuber is a gamer, with over 49 million subscribers, and it's probably much higher than that now. These days, there's a lot of overlap between content creators and gamers, a new breed of prosumers, producers, and consumers, as dubbed so by the author Terry Flew. Gamers shouldn't need sheer numbers to be legitimized. But hey, it doesn't hurt. Let's own it. We're diverse people who play for diverse reasons with diverse backgrounds and sets of interests. I think non-gamers and gamers alike would do well to remember and acknowledge that. Even within the gaming community, it can be a rough place. There's the classifiers. You have the casual gamers versus hardcore gamers, and sometimes there's derision between those two groups. You're a nerd if you play too much. You're a noob if you don't play enough. Let's just celebrate that we're here, enjoying gameplay. As diverse as we are, we're unified by common goals. Maybe we like a challenge. Maybe we like to feel a sense of accomplishment. Whatever it is, games are fun for us. With me, for example, I'm not incredibly good at games. I'm not bad because I've been playing on and off console and handhelds for over 20 years. Even though I'm aware that graphic fidelity may be better on a PC, I stare at a computer all day at my job, so when I get home, I'm looking for a break, and consoles provide a mostly reliable and easy experience. I don't typically play for trophies and achievements, except recently I've been getting more into trophies, but as an adult gamer, I have less time to devote to gaming than when I was young. I have a full-time job that demands long nights and sometimes weekends. And on that note, I'll get to why I'm recording this in the first place. I'm a practicing architect. I currently work on civic projects in New York with a great group of colleagues. Back when I was in school, architecture school, one of the things I loved most was the creative freedom that extended beyond the pragmatic into the unrealized but fascinating potential not only studying what's been done in architectural history, but also exploring what could be. In school, I was challenged to extend beyond the immediate realm of architecture as pure building, and with that I gained an incredible amount of inspiration from related fields, 
art, speculative futures, science fiction, film. But when I'm honest with myself, perhaps one of the most innate reasons why I wanted to become an architect in the first place was because of my love for creative design of possible new environments. And when I was younger, I found a lot of that in games. You can call it imaginary worlds, though I think there's a term more powerful and accurate that I can't quite reach. But very simply, I love to be immersed in a beautiful experience, to be swept away by a powerful story. I enjoy challenge. I like intellectual stimulation. And games do this for me. But why don't games get the same attention in intellectual circles as do movies and literature? Granted, there's much more literature and intellectual thought on games than the everyday person might expect. From new media theorists and game culture, game studies... If you're interested in this, I'd recommend the writings of Mackenzie Wark, Alexander Galloway, Lev Manovich, Anne-Marie Schleiner, Katie Salin, and Eric Zimmerman, Terry Flew, and many others. But these works get little attention outside their immediate circles. In my perspective as an architect, and in my experience in school, literary and film analysis often informs architectural education. Be it Fritz Lang's Metropolis to Ridley Scott's Blade Runner, these films offer a glimpse into potential societies, visually represented in masterful ways to really put the viewer into the context. But arguably, games do that just as well, and perhaps even better. Roger Ebert once said something along the lines that video games could, on principle, never be an art form. He got a lot of backlash, especially for speaking out about something that he'd never really experienced. But if we're speaking on principle, maybe he had a point. Now hear me out, I do believe that games are forms of art and can be wonderfully artistic expressions. I'm aware that artists make up the staffs of game designers and developers and the talent is immense. The results can be mind-bendingly gorgeous. But if we use the definition of art that I found in the Oxford English Dictionary as the expression or application of human creative skill and imagination, typically in a visual form such as painting or sculpture, producing works to be appreciated primarily for their beauty or emotional power, I would argue that this definition of art would seem to say that beauty and emotional power are the end goals. In a sense, art for art's sake. No doubt games can certainly manifest beauty and emotional power, such as the beautifully rendered 13th century world in The Witcher 3 or the heart-wrenching story of The Last of Us. Even a game about jumping rectangles captured me emotionally. I'm talking about Thomas Was Alone, an indie game I played on Vita by Mike Bithell. But there's another primary goal of games that go beyond art for art's sake, and that's to provide an experience. This is the main difference between books, movies, television, and, and games. The former, books, movie, and television, they're passive entertainment. They act upon us and require us only to observe. While we may be emotionally or mentally engaged, we don't really have to provide any input, except maybe raising or lowering the volume or flipping channels between commercials. The latter, games, are an active entertainment, drawing us in as one of the characters, immersing us in a world where our actions have weight. Even games such as Uncharted and Final Fantasy, which may have an open-world component but follow a more linear narrative, where the cutscenes of the story play out the same for each player, these games put the player in the active role such that they're part of the story. And that often makes it more meaningful, more connective. That's not even to mention the create-your-own-character RPGs of Fallout and Skyrim and many others where the possibilities are virtually endless. In the same vein, architecture may have artistic qualities, but it transcends the boundaries of art. 
not least because it fulfills a primary purpose for the life, safety, and welfare of human occupation, but also because architecture is a designed experience. Games are more than art in a similar way that architecture is more than art. They're both designed experiences. Both architecture and games are works of art that one inhabits. Architecture, we physically inhabit. Games, we inhabit in more of a mental, physical, hybrid game space. It's a term that's also used by Mackenzie Wark in his fantastic book, Gamer Theory, which you can find online. In Wark's abstraction, he's working with an analogy, though he means something quite literal, that the world is a game, albeit a series of less and less perfect ones, where the citizen gives way to the gamer. Wark suggests that games are utopian versions of our world, made imperfect by the rat race of free market society. He suggests games put players on a level playing field where skill or meritocracy is what governs. However, in reality, these days that's not always the case with pay-to-play, play-to-win games. Even now, with gaming as a profession and the commodification of time, I personally have no chance to win against a professional gamer. So when I use the term game space, I mean the experiential, mental, physical, metaphysical space between person and game or simply the realm we enter when we play. While I don't necessarily want to depoliticize work's term, that's what I'm doing, because I think game space, in the way I describe, is something quite tangible outside the allegory to our current and future world. Sometimes we play games as a way to escape the world around us, and while architecture may be experienced by a great deal many more people than games, The gamer more consciously seeks out or appreciates the experience because that's what they're buying it for. With the uprise of augmented reality and virtual reality in both gaming and architectural applications, I think that we're on the precipice of change as to how one experiences the physical world. But already so many immersive experiences through games have been created, with numerous themes that can and will be explored here. I'm not kidding myself, I'm not an extraordinarily talented gamer and there's a massive amount of games that I haven't gotten the chance to play or frankly don't even know about. I'm always willing to take suggestions. But this podcast is not going to be a game review, even though I will express my opinions. There are many great game reviews and game reviewers out there. Also, I might touch on new media theories, philosophy, and game studies, but since I was not trained in those areas, I won't pretend to speak with any level of authority. I have a feeling that this is going to be far more casual than academic. For this podcast in general, I'm going to take liberties with topics, using the games as jumping-off points to explore the areas that I'm interested in, which is the built world, the natural world, architecture, urban design and planning, and many other themes relevant to design experience. I haven't figured this out 100%, but moving forward, I want to dedicate each episode to a game and a related theme. I can't guarantee the games I talk about will be the absolute latest releases, and in fact some of the games I want to talk about already are from last generation console releases. But I also probably won't go too too far back to retro games until I run out of newer ones to talk about. It's probably going to be random at times, but that's what this is all about. At the end of the day, we play to get carried away. If you enjoyed this talk and are curious to hear more, Look for a new episode in one week where I plan to dive deep into the underwater utopian enclave of Bioshock's City of Rapture. In the meantime, you can also visit our website, worldsofgamespace.com, where you can find links and show notes, and a visual companion to the audio episodes. 
Worlds of Game Space was produced by me, Jillian Crandall. For comments and suggestions, please help me out. Email me at worldsofgamespace at gmail.com.